You can turn with me again to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're going to read through the chapter together this morning before we start looking at the, the rest of the chapter. Last week I, I worked my way through the first two verses, and there's a lot to get through today, so um, I'm excited. You'll notice that your handout might be lengthy, um, but that's so we can um, just effectively, hopefully, work through this chapter well and honoring the Lord. So Romans chapter 12. Um, As I said, we'll read through the whole chapter together this morning. Romans 12 reads this way. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we though many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ, according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of God. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the many, the many commands, the many truths, the many reminders, Lord, the warnings, Lord, the guardrails for the Christian life that we can see in this chapter. Lord, sometimes we, we stay within one lane, but there's so much more that you have for us. And so let us really live our lives as was already proclaimed this morning and reminded us, Lord, that you want all of us. But we have all of Christ within us. We thank you for your spirit. 
Again, we thank you for your word. Lord, won't you teach us from it today? Won't you do your work in each one of us as you desire to? Lord, the ways that you know that we need to grow in Christ's likeness so that we would be transformed. So, Father, we thank you again for your word. I pray that you use this time for your glory and for your ministry. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, last week, as I said, we looked at the first two verses. And point number one, or part one, was to submit to the Lordship of Christ in all area of your life. I'm not going to preach that whole message again, but I needed to remind us, and I wanted to remind us, that that was what God was asking of us, that we need to submit to the Lordship of Christ Jesus in every single area of our life. And what does that look like? How do we even do that? And I, and I kind of focused in on what a living sacrifice was. And I also said that sacrifices die for the sake of holiness. And I just want to speak briefly again to that this morning. I shared with us a, a term, living the exchanged life, and reminded us what that was scripturally, that it was Christ actually living within us that we are called to die to our very self and so that Christ might live through us. We're to be rooted in the vine so that we would bear fruit that is worthy of the vine, that is worthy of Christ. That exemplifies Christ, that Christ would be manifested in the world that we live today, that as we sang, that people would see the light of Christ in us. Also reminded us that we needed to renew our mind we need to renew our mind in God's Word. And I gave us a couple challenges with some questions. And I, and I pray that you spent some time in this past week to consider those questions, questions. Because not only are we to renew our minds, we are to put to death what is earthly in us. And that putting to death and renewing our mind actually prepares us so we could live our life as a sacrifice to the Lord, fully available to Him. But not only available, but obedient to Him. Right? And, I, and I encourage us that we don't just say, Lord, you know, who, who are you going to send? Well, you can send me, but we actually be a sent person. We go out and live a life as a sent one. So the questions I pray that you considered was the first one was, in what new ways will you present yourself as a living sacrifice to God this week? I pray that God revealed to you at least one way that you could live a life pleasing to him that he's called you to be obedient, that maybe you have yet to live in obedience to, and maybe a way that there's a need here even within the body, that you could be part of the ministry here, of Christ's ministry, who is the head. So the second question I said was, how can you be more intentional to renew your mind? So we're all about reading God's word, and that's who we are. We have Bible in our name. And it's there for a reason because we not only read God's word to inform our minds, but we read God's word that we would be able to live out a transformed life as a result of the new information that we get from reading God's word. So we don't read through God's word once and say, I've read it, I'm good. We continue to dig into the God's word and to, and to figure out what is really being said, what the author is intending in the passage, and what it means for our life today how we need to be increasingly transformed into Christ's very likeness in our lives today. So I pray that as you spent time considering those questions, that God did his work within you, that he encouraged you, that he revealed um, his ways for your life, 
that you get to see his will in your very life unfold, that's an exciting thing. And so at the very beginning of the message, I asked if anyone needed to be encouraged, and I think most of us put up our hands. But I pray the encouragement was that God has a plan for you guys. He has a plan for me, and that's for us to walk in obedience to his word. It's for us to be part of his ministry here on earth and also here within Canyon. And we get to hear and rejoice and praise the Lord for what he's doing in the schools, for what he does through the local ministries that we have here. And we know that he does that globally as well. So part number two in your teaching outline is to consider others above yourself and so act. Consider others above yourself and so act. Trevor reminded us this morning of Mark 12, 30 that says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And that's, that was a verse that I referenced for submitting to the Lordship of Christ in all areas of our life, that the Lord wants all of us. And when we present ourselves as a right sacrifice to the Lord for him to use us for his glory, part number two starts to take shape. We understand it maybe a little more to consider others above ourselves, and to so act. Mark 12, 31 continues on with the second commandment. The second is this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So loving God fully, completely will manifest itself in being obedient to God, our obedience to God, and where we get to steward God's love within us and share it with others. So today we're going to look at the rest of the verses in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 21, and we're going to see how this plays out in different settings. We're going to see settings amongst fellow believers that we see spiritual fruit. We get to see what this looks like in, in a context of maybe involved with someone's in someone's life where they profess to be a Christian, but you're not seeing the fruit of Christ, not seeing the fruit of the vine in their life. And then thirdly, amidst unbelievers, amongst the world. And we know that the world wants to persecute Christ because the law is condemning them, but they should be looking to Christ as the author of their faith, that he would give them a new hope that they would not be condemned, but that would have the, they would respond to the conviction of the Spirit and the truth of God's Word. And so we're going to see those three areas in these verses. We're going to find out what God's instruction to us is in each one of those settings. And I know that each one of those environments is appropriate and applicable to each one of us this morning. That each one of us, by God's grace and by God's design, that we are connected with other people in the church, our brothers and sisters. And secondly, that we are amongst people who profess to be Christians and maybe have been going to church their entire life, but they truly have yet to respond to Jesus, truly have not responded to the gospel. And not only are they fooling themselves, but they're trying to convince others that they are Christians. But they're wrongly rooted. They have a different vine in their actions. And then lastly, again, that, that we see more and more the persecution against what God desires in this world, and specifically against Christ himself. So as we start to consider this passage, we're reminded that to love with affection that honors others. And this is a love that actually um, operates out of humility, right? It's a humility that considers others' interests first. 
Right? So what does that look like or what should that look like in our life? And there's countless verses and countless commands in this passage as we'll see it unfold before us. But in it all, we're to be reminded that God is the one who grants the increase. Right? He's the one who produces the work. He's the one who gives us the opportunities. As, as Ephesians 2.10 tells us, that he actually predestined these, these good works for us to walk in in eternity past. And he saved us through faith, not as a result of our works, not as a result of us fulfilling these commands and these opportunities that he's given us, but he saved us by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Romans 12.10 says to love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. What does loving one another with brotherly affection look like in our life? Why not just affection? Why is brotherly in there? We're part of God's family. We have brothers and sisters in the Lord. Some of us might not have any siblings, but, but we have siblings in Christ. And we have a perfect heavenly father this morning to be thankful for. I want to read Philippians 2, 3 through 4 for you this morning. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's the posture that we have as we start to, as we start to care for other people, that we do it out of humility, that we do it knowing that um, they are either brothers and sisters in the Lord or possibly not yet brothers and sisters in the Lord. And then verse 4 of Philippians 2 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We're not to forsake our own care, right? Jesus doesn't say, didn't command us to, to love our neighbor and not worry about ourselves. It says to love our neighbor as ourselves. We, we rightly care for ourselves. We make sure that our needs are taken care of. And we get to do that with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And again, it's the Lord who increases our love for one another. When we rightly steward and when we rightly think about God's gift of love for us as his sons and daughters, how did God love us? He sent his son for us. While we were yet sinners, God did that. Right? We hadn't cleaned up our life. We hadn't come before the cross and said, well, here I am. I'm actually a worthy sacrifice but Christ is going to die in my place. No, God loved us while we were his enemies. We were the ones who should have died on the cross as payment for our sin. Revelation 2, verses 3 through 5 says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. This is the church of Ephesus. And you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from, lampstand from its place unless you repent. As believers in Christ, maybe some of us have known the Lord for a long time. Have we become complacent in our Christianity? Have we become complacent with living out the commands that God has called us to have we stopped looking for ways that God desires us to grow in, in obedience to his scriptures? Have we stopped looking for opportunities to serve him, to love others, to care for them? And so I pray that as we look at some of these commands in the following verses, that we take that to heart. 
that we don't just say, no, Lord, I'm good. I know that I'm living a life. I'm, I'm staying away from, from committing these sins against you. But yet we're omitting doing the commands that God has called us to do as believers, as sons and daughters, as those who are entrusted with not only the gospel, but with his spirit. So number one in your outline, we're to have a godly love for fellow practicing believers. Practicing believers. There's the joke about those, you know, the doctors, we wish they would quit practicing on us, but that they would actually just, just do medicine. But as believers in Christ, we know that none of us are yet perfect, and we will fall short in what we are called to do, and even in our efforts. But when we're rooted in Christ, he's the one who gets to produce the fruit, and those are always good and perfect. It's important for us to be reminded that just as faith without works is dead, so too is love without action. So faith without works is dead, but love itself is is dead. Love without action is dead. 1 John 4, 20 and 21. I want to read for us that speaks to that statement that I just said. It says, if anyone says, so these are our words, if anyone says, I love God, and he hates, so our very action, so we say one thing and we do something else. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from God from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So we have a clear commandment to love our brother. How can we say that we love God and we've experienced God's love and that we have been redeemed and restored and given a whole new heart if we have no love for our brother or sister in the Lord? So with that said, let's, let's dig into the passage this morning. Romans 3 through 5, if you would read along again with me as we look at some of the truths that we find here. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What is this saying? It's saying that we're not all that, right? We're not all that. Rather, we are part of the all. Right? It's not a whole bunch of siloed Christians, especially within a local church body like this. We are members of one another, members of the body of Christ. Verse 4 says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. In your outline, instructions for our interactions with faithful believers. Practicing believers, faithful believers. Hopefully that's describing us and we're seeing that more and more in our lives that we're faithful to the Lord and that we are not only practicing our faith, but we're hoping to live it out with Christ's perfection as he works within us. So verses three through five remind us to think biblically about ourselves, right? To have a right mind of who we are. Not only does it mean that we don't walk in condemnation, we don't believe the lies of the, of the world, but it also means we don't flip to the other side and puff ourselves up and say, look at me. Look at who I am in Christ. Right? I don't think any of us are in our glorified bodies yet, right? 
And so that means that the Lord is still at work in us as, as Paul encourages the Philippians in, in one verse, chapter 1, verse 6. So our focus is to be on Jesus. He's the head. He's the head of the church. And we are not merely the body, but we get to be part of the body of Christ. What a blessing that is. Again, verse 3, it's true Christians that think rightly, which means that we actually think biblically, not only about God, but about ourselves. And this is in accordance with the allotment of faith that God has given us. Right? What is true? What is true of the Lord? What is true of us? What is true of everything that his scriptures will actually tell us? And we do all that while not being self-focused. Right? And I'm not saying we shouldn't look at ourselves. The Lord has called us to. And as we, as we open up the scriptures, hopefully God is doing his work within you of conviction, of encouragement, of correction, granting you instruction of what he has for you. But don't be so self-focused that you miss out on what God has for you to be used in his kingdom. Verse 5 reminds us that we're, we are to be others-focused, right? We're not only individually created for God's purposes, which we certainly are, but he also collectively has, he has made us collectively as members of the body. And not only here within this church, but locally in our area, but also universally amongst the world. It's always a joy to see and to meet brothers and sisters in the Lord outside of our local gathering to hear the testimony of God's faithfulness because they get to worship and they do worship the same God that we have here today. And the beautiful thing about God's encouragement from his scripture is that God's will for his creation is not all on us. Right? We don't need, he doesn't, he's not relying on us. Rather, he is he is using us for his glory and for his good, for the common good of others as well. He created us to be fully dependent on him and reliant on others. Others who are also being living sacrifices obedient to God's will. What do I mean by that? We're going to see in some of these verses the ways that God has called us and encourages us to operate within the church, but also within our communities, within our families. And he does that so that we can meet other people's needs. How often have you prayed for something, for the Lord to provide something, and you expect that you need to work for it, you need to manufacture it, you need to figure out a way to make it happen, and God already has somebody on the sidelines to bless you with it. Not that we'd be, we should be so dependent <clears throat> on others that we would be disobedient to God's commands to be people who work, that we would be disobedient to God's warnings of being slothful, <clears throat> of not preparing. It's a blessing to see the body of Christ working together to provide for each other's needs, to care for each other when we can't care for ourselves. Verses 6 through 8, I'll read it again for us and we'll look at these verses. Again, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And this is the body functioning rightly 
when it's easier, right? As you know, when you're part of a family, it's not always easy, but it should be easier when you actually are a brother and sister in the Lord loving each other and caring for each other rightly. Seasoned with all kinds of grace that you have received from God, so when you look at the situation and the circumstance, you're not bent out of shape because someone might have offended you or you think has done something against you. But you get to care for each other and to love each other rightly. So in these verses, we're reminded that we are to use our God-given gifts faithfully, humbly, we're to use them for clarity, generously, with zeal, not with zeal in your notes. Maybe that's like a payment um, form, but a little different spelling. We're to use our gifts mercif- mercifully and with joy. So what is the gift that God gave to you? Do you know what the gifts are that he has given you? Not only the gifts of salvation and the gifts of his word and his spirit, but how has he equipped you today for his purposes, not only today, but for tomorrow? It's always amazing to see how God manifests himself in believers so that his work would continue to happen. So that people would be equipped so that God's kingdom would be extended, and all in all of that, so that God himself would be glorified. So what is the gift that God gave to you? The command is to use it. That's what we see in each one of these. Prophecy in proportion to our collective faith, right? Offering counsel, but not merely counsel, biblical counsel. Words of, this is what God says. Rightly applied to the situation. Serving. So then serve, right? If your gift is to serve, don't say I'm a servant. Let people see how you get to serve. Better yet, don't let them see how you get to serve. Serve behind the scenes. Is it teaching? Is that your gift? How are you using it? Serve the body through teaching. Maybe it's exhortation. You can't exhort if you're not gathered. Right? Don't forsake the gatherings. Are you in fellowship with the body that you can recognize times when God himself has given you opportunities to exhort others? Biblically, with love and with grace, for their genuine soul care. Maybe the gift that God has given you is the gift of contribution. Has God gifted you with the gift of contribution? Well, how do you know? Do you have a heart and a burden within to, to meet a need that God has given you? You might say, well, I've got the, I think I've got the gift of contribution, but you're broke, right? You don't have the financial resources, but God has given you other ways that you can contribute, right? We all have resources available to us. How does God want you to use them? Maybe it's a call of confession, repentance, that we're not being faithful with, with what he has given us. You have the gift of leadership, Has God made you someone others follow? Has God made you someone that others actually follow? It's different from the one who wants to be in charge, right? I've got the gift of leadership. Follow me, right? And then he starts, or they start, lording over things, people, patterns of domineering. You do all these things in humility and a love for others. That includes leading, acts of mercy, 
Is that the gift that God has given you? As a faithful recipient of God's grace, you have compassion on those in need. That should be each one of us. But some really do have a a gift where they get to come alongside other people in their life and really encourage them, care for them, help them see that God loves them. Continue on through verses 9 through 13. Again, I'm going to read it for us. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. It's competition. In humility. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So again, this is the body functioning rightly when it's a little easier because we're amongst brothers and sisters in the Lord. In these verses, verses 9 through 13, we're reminded to be using our God-given gifts rightly. right? The right place, the right time for the right need. As God has led us and directed us and gifted us, We're to have a sincere love for one another, right? A genuineness, not something that's plastic or manufactured, but something that is truly rooted in the Spirit of God. And we'll see that each one of these, as we, if we read Galatians chapter 5 and read through all the fruit of the Spirit, we see how they are evident in each one of these actions. We're to be righteous. We are to abhor that which is evil among you. The definition in your handout says to abhor is to regard with horror or loathing or a loathing detest. To shrink back with shuddering from. To regard with horror or detestation. To feel excessive repugnance toward. To detest to extremity. extremity. To loathe. To fill with horror or disgust. Is that you? Is that me? When we see evil. Not only in the world, when we look out and it just seems so obvious. But when we see it in our environments, in our context, are we disgusted with evil? Or are we passive to it? Or maybe even we even welcome it into our homes. We're to cling and be faithful in that which is good. So we abhor the evil and then we actually cling to that which is good means that we don't forsake that which is good for that which is evil. We are to work and persevere in serving the Lord, which means that it takes constant effort. Work is not easy, right? We need to exert an effort. It's a planned effort. And certainly persevering in serving the Lord means that there's a, there's a call to hang in there, right? When it's not easy. There's a call to, to finish the job, to run the race, to have integrity in what you've committed to. And it does. It takes constant, consistent effort and energies. We're to glorify God in all that we do. But in using our gifts, we are to be eternally grounded. We're to have hope in Christ. We're to trust in God's timing and we're not to stop praying. Is that you? Is that me today? That we rejoice in the hope of Christ, that we're patient in these tribulations? 
no matter what we walk through, that we're constant in prayer, that we don't cease praying for the Lord's will to be done and not ours. We're to give towards others' needs. We're to give our portion for the needs of the body. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Contribute doesn't necessarily mean that you have to cover everything. The Lord could be leading you and he could have provided you so that you could meet an entire need and praise the Lord for that. But if we care for each other, we're connected to each other, and if we have an opportunity to care for each other by giving and meeting a tangible need, then God has called us to do that. Not only that, we're to find ways to be hospitable towards each other. That means that we actually search out ways to welcome and care for others. Maybe you don't have the gift of cooking or baking, but you can put a pot of coffee on and you can invite people into your home and be hospitable to them. Hospitality is not only providing a meal for somebody, it's welcoming them into your home, into your life, caring for them, figuring out what, how God has equipped you to love and to show and express his love for them, to encourage them in the faith. Other scriptures in God's word have a few examples and exhortations for us. We are to love in deed and truth. 1 John three sixteen through 18 says, By this we know love. So how do we know? What does it look like? That Jesus himself laid down his life for us that we might, that we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? We're to lay down our lives for our brothers. That means not only physically and tangibly, but it means that we are to put down our own wants and desires in some ways to be able to care for other people, not to be, self, not to be selfish. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. We're to love one another by the Spirit of God. First John is very rich with commands that complement this passage in Romans. We're to love one another by the Spirit. It says, and this is his commandment that we believe in the name of this, his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. Sounds familiar? John 14 and John 15. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. See, man, it might, it's really difficult to love this person. That's why God gave us the Spirit, right? We're to love one another with God's love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God himself. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. The fruit of God doing a new work in us, making us new creations of saving us, of giving us a whole new heart, of, of putting his spirit within us where we get to see the spiritual fruit of him within our very lives. It's an outpouring of God's love within us. It's an overflowing of Christ within us to the world around us. We're to love one another because God has loved us. We're to love, we're to be loving God. Loving God means that we will give, loving God will give you a love for your brother. And again, that reminder from 1 John. 
next in your outline, the body functioning rightly when it's easier is continued, right? This church meets fellow needs, and we, we looked at the acts of the apostles, of disciples. We've been reading through it in, in our corporate services. I'm not going to read the passage for us today in, in view of time. But we look at the early church and how they lived amongst each other, how they recognized the true needs of the saints, how they shared where there was a need. They weren't hanging on to what God has entrusted to them tightly, right? Sometimes we say, okay, Lord, take, take what I have and, and use it for others, but we still have our fists closed. Have an open-handed posture to the Lord that, he would, that you would be able to receive from him, but that you would also be able to give for others. Next in your outline, number two, have godly love for self-proclaimed believers. These are the people who proclaim to be Christians, but as we look at their life, we're not really seeing the evidence of a true saving faith in Christ. Maybe we see works that they are trying to do, that they think are honoring to the Lord, but they're rooted in, not in the vine of Christ. They're rooted in their own moralism. They're rooted in their own self-righteousness, saying, oh, Lord, I can, I can obey your commands. Look at me. Save me. We know God's warning that he will give to those professed believers. That he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. So as we commune with these people, there's a few things we need to be reminded of, and we have some instructions in your outline for our interactions with professing Christians that are not practicing yielding spiritual fruit. In this section, we see the body functioning as it should, even when it's more difficult. Right? It's more difficult to be fellowshipping and loving others when they say they're Christians, yet they don't understand the gospel yet. They truly don't understand who Jesus is and what he has offered them, and what he's called them to do. A whole different reason for serving, a whole different reason for gathering. They don't understand what it means to truly worship God because the Spirit isn't indwelling them. Maybe they're going through the motions week after week, year after year, decade after decade. What kind of spiritual fruit are these people going to produce? What are, what are your interactions with these people going to be like? Is it going to be that Christ would be glorified or is it going to be for their own self-interest? Maybe even that they would be glorified amidst the circumstance, that they would be lifted high rather than Christ. In verse 14, the first part of verse 14, we're to have a Christ-like response even amidst persecution. What does that mean? We're to bless, which means we are to invoke divine favor upon them. How far is your heart from responding this way rather than in kind? When someone persecutes you, what's your fleshly response? To go to battle? To put your hands up to fight against them? Why are they persecuting you? Is it because of what Christ is producing within you? Is it something that you've done against them? Or to bless them? How do we bless those who persecute us? Paul encourages us in 2 Corinthians 5.16, and I think I read it last week, from now on, therefore, he died for all. We regard no one according to the flesh. That is, we don't regard people according to their actions and what their flesh produces or does or says. Paul goes on, he says, even though we once regarded Christ according to his flesh, 
the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Brothers and sisters, it's easy for us to label people from past actions, from ways that they've sinned not only against God, but against us or against others. We're called not to see them for their sin. And by God's mercy and grace, when other people look at us, hopefully they don't identify us as past sins. Second part of verse 14, it's, it encourages us, bless and do not curse them. Therefore, bless them and do not curse them because of their sinful acts of persecution. So don't act out against them because of what they have done. And in verse 15, what is the encouragement from us? We're to rejoice with those who rejoice. That means we're to give thanks to God himself with those who are rejoicing, right? And sometimes amidst this environment, amidst these people who truly have not yet responded to the gospel, who maybe don't even understand it, we get to use that opportunity to rejoice with them in directing them to a God-honoring, a God-glorifying, a God-directive that says it's God who has given you this good gift. Yes, be thankful, but give thanks to God himself. Help direct praise to God as a reminder to that all good gifts come from above. The latter part of verse 15, we're to weep with those who weep. It means we're to enter into sorrow. It means we're to be in relation with other people, the body of Christ. How well do we know people? How, how often do we even know when people are weeping, when they're sor- sorrowful? when they're going through hard and difficult times. Enter into their sorrow and so weep with them. Acknowledge it. Don't try to just jump in there and fix it. Recognize the reasons for the sorrow. Be compassionate towards them and point them to Jesus. Next, in verse 16, we're to live out our life complementary with others. It says to live in harmony with, that, with one another. What does that look like? It means that we get to make a beautiful noise with them. They'll, they might be singing the melody, but we get to come alongside them and add to the, to the praise and the glory of their life. But do it in a way that directs the attention and the affections towards the Lord, especially for those people who have yet to respond to the Lord. Next, we are to refrain from puffing ourselves up, right? We are to be separate from those and being separated from those in humble circumstances, right? We're not to be separate. We're not to ignore people that are going through these trials. Rather, we are to be amidst them in equal posture and equal position, right? Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And lastly in this section, never be wise in your own sight. Real simple, don't be prideful. Don't elevate yourself amongst anyone else. Think clearly, think correctly, which means what? Think biblically. What does God's word say about me, about you? And all of this, we are to have a sober, right, unimpeded, with no impairment, have a sober, right-spirited consideration of yourself. And thirdly, in our outline this morning, have a godly love for non-Christians, even those who persecute believers. Well, that seems out of this world. 
So in this, we see instructions for our interactions with all those who have yet to surrender to Christ's lordship. When we're in these trials and these tribulations and in this environment where people are actually persecuting believers, how might God use us? How might he use our response or maybe even a lack of response? How might he use our words that are chosen wisely that actually are honoring to the Lord and speak truth into the moment? That testify of God that maybe says, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That isn't angry and bitter against them. In these verses, verses 17 through 21, we see loving others when it's seemingly impossible. It seems like there's no way that I could love them through this. Look what they're doing. Look how they're persecuting us. Look at the harm that they're doing, not only to me, but to God's kingdom. So what is our instruction in these verses? Verse 17 says, Payback of evil is essentially dishonoring to God. Repay no one evil for evil. How did Jesus respond against evil? And the question for us is, what response from us would glorify God and might bring others to do the same? So that others might see the works that we do, even amidst persecution, our persecution, so that they too might glorify God. How is God going to intervene in their life? Might he even use you? Maybe that person who's persecuting you has had someone praying for them for decades, and you get to be the person who is an answer to prayer to share the gospel with them and to have a right response. Next, in verse 18, we are to live at peace with everyone. That's a big challenge sometimes. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Not with some, not with the ones that it's easy to be at peace with that aren't combative against you, right? We're to live at peace with absolutely everyone. In so much as it depends on us. What does that mean? It means that we are to exhaust all of the resources that we have to conduct ourselves peaceably with all. Is God limiting his resource of his spirit within you, the truth and the instruction of his word? No, it should be overflowing within us. It's inexhaustible. In verse 19, we're to rest in God for his timing and his just wrath. We think we know all things at certain times, and we think that we know what is just in the situation. Was God patient with you in your sinfulness? so that you might come to know him? Was he patient with me? Was he long-suffering? Was he steadfast? The tables turn as we see verse 20. To the contrary, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. How are we to, how are we to live our life amidst this persecution with these people. We're to provide for our enemy's needs. Do you know their needs? Is your enemy hungry or thirsty? Feed and water them. We're not called by God to be vigilantes, right? It's not who he's called us to be. We're not trying to enforce his justice in the world. 
and verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We're not to dwell on the things that are above, or we're not to dwell on the things that are, are of this world, but we are to dwell on the things that are above, as Colossians 3.2 tells us. And not only that, not only to think on these things, but we are to so act. Let the Lord rule your heart and be at peace. Overcome the evil amongst you with goodness. This, again, is a fruit of the Spirit. In all these things, we are to stay true to God's commands. There's lots of other passages here on your sheet, and I pray that this week you'll spend some time looking at it. But one I want to simply read for us is from Jesus, his words to us, his disciples about loving our enemies, praying for them, and being perfect as he is perfect. It's quite a charge to us. It's different from what we expect to hear, from maybe what we have read before. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Is that what you're doing today with any persecution that comes against you from others? Pray for those who persecute you and love them so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, me, us. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This morning, are we presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord for him to use us as he desires? Are we having our minds renewed in the word of God so that we might know his instruction for us? So that we not only would be available to him, but we would be obedient to him. What are our interactions with our fellow brothers and sisters? Are we making the most of those opportunities? Are you connected throughout the week with your brothers and sisters in the Lord in a koinonia group? Are you connected with people in discipleship ways, where the older is with the younger? Where you're scouring through the scriptures to truly find ways that we can grow in our love and appreciation and understanding of who God is and what he's called us to do. And you, are you in the world, even when it's persecuting you, so that you might be able to reveal Christ to these people? We have much to think about, we have much to consider, and most importantly, we have much that God wants us to respond to today. So today I pray that as we leave here that we would be considering others above ourselves and that we would act in a right way, in a God-honoring way, in an obedient way to the Scriptures. Let me pray for you and let me pray for me this morning. Lord God, we come into your presence and that in itself, Lord, is supernatural. That we can come before you that we have been declared righteous that we have been justified by Christ's shed blood, that, you, that yet though we have sinned deeply and gravely and repeatedly against you, that you saw us and that you loved us and that you offered us an alternative, another plan, a perfect plan that we could turn to Jesus. 
that through that gift of faith that we can trust in him and his redeeming work on the cross that we could be made right and come before you in your presence. Lord, we know that you want to continue working within us, Lord, not only today, but tomorrow and as long as you give us life and breath. And in this, we rejoice and we thank you for your word, your word that wants to do its work within us, that wants to continue to shape us and mold us, to encourage us, to, to set our minds right before you, to set our, might, our, our minds right so that we would have a biblical, a Christian worldview. Lord, help us to respond rightly, no matter the environment and the circumstance, the people that we find ourselves amongst. Lord, that we would so act in humility, mindful of the gospel, of your grace that we so desperately needed. Lord, of how we need to respond in love and grace, in tenderness and truth. Lord, but you also remind us in your scripture of Lord, those who stiff-arm your word and your ways. Lord, those who proclaim to know you that continue to walk in ways that show that they're practicing sinfulness. Help us to approach them biblically for the care of their soul. Help us to come alongside them. Help us to be in their lives so that we can keep them from harming themselves. The harm of sin that separates them in fellowship from you. Lord, we thank you and praise you for the relationship with we, that we can have with you. Lord, restore unto joy, unto us the joy of the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus this morning. Lord, thank you for the encouragement that Christ is all. Thank you for the encouragement that your word speaks into our lives, that we're not in this world to, to go our wayward way, but Lord, that, that your word can be the light to our feet. And we rest in that, we trust in that, And we act on that in Christ's name. Amen.